So I gave myself the 90 days to just say, working in this pressured way is not working. I'm just going to relax and see what happens. And as a result, we hit all our financial goals. No problem. I actually rested. I actually enjoyed myself. And I was able to really shift the way I was relating to my husband, the way I was relating to work, the way I was relating to money. And so that particular adversity, which has showed itself in a lot of different ways, continues to teach me to shift from my default setting being running my business and my life from a place of stress and pressure to running my business and my life from a place of relaxation and joy. And it's been amazing. Hi, I'm Michelle Rios, host of the Live Your Extraordinary Life podcast. This podcast is built on the premise that life is meant to be joyful, but far too often we settle for less. So if you've ever thought that something is missing from your life, that you were meant for more, or you simply want to experience more joy in the everyday, then this podcast is for you. Each week, I'll bring you captivating personal stories, transformative life lessons, and juicy conversations on living life to the fullest with the hope to inspire you to create a life you love on your terms with authenticity, purpose, and connection. Together, we'll explore what it means to live an extraordinary life, the things that hold us back, and the steps we all can take to start living our best lives. So come along for the journey. It's never too late to get started, and the world needs your light. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. I am so excited to introduce this week's guest, Kate Northrup, entrepreneur, best-selling author of Money, A Love Story, and Do Less, uh, mother, and she is teaching women globally how to heal their relationship with money, time, and work. She has a digital platform that reaches hundreds of thousands of people around the world, and she is committed to helping all of us light up the world without burning ourselves out. So without further ado, I am so grateful to introduce to you today, Kate Northrup. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to jump in. I'm going to start with the question, what does it mean to you to live your extraordinary life? To live your extraordinary life to me means playing full out. And that might mean a lot of different things and would look very different depending on who you are. But for me, playing full out means, am I fully present in this moment? And am I letting life flow through me, like life force come through me to the maximum capacity that I have available right now. So am I actually here and am I letting things flow through the way they want to? So that could be in parenting, in marriage, in business, in writing, creativity, friendship, even like cooking soup. I love that. What is your response to this always on quest that we seem to have for work-life balance? Is there such a thing or in this moment of creativity and build 
do you sometimes have to go all in with what's in front of you? And maybe the the word balance is a relative term. I love this question. (laughs) Yeah. Work-life balance to me, like, I don't actually know what that means. I am somebody who my work is really so integrated into my life, mostly for better, every now and again for worse. I run a company with my husband. I do work that is who I am. I mean, Mm. my work is just an expression of who I am. So like sometimes I am talking to my kids and there's something happening in that conversation that is reminding me of something I want to write about or something that's happening with a friend that just deepens an understanding of a concept that I want to share. And so that's how my work and life, it's, I don't think about it as work-life balance. I think about it as work-life integration. I don't know that that would be healthy for somebody who didn't love their work like I do and who wasn't so deeply nourished by their work. My work just really does it for me. So I, I am a more whole person because of what I do. I mean, I think if I had a career that I hated, I would do what I could do to change that. But in the meantime, I would try to have better boundaries around my work time. And even as it is in my life, you know, I am a mom. My kids are little. They're five and seven. Um, My husband and I run a company together. So it is really important that we have times where we are not talking about our business. And so I am clear about that. And I think that I think that that helps. Like when my kids come home from school, I'm pretty much done and I'm here. You know, I used to be terrible about like bringing up a business idea as we were falling asleep in bed. And my husband was like, okay, you have to stop. (laughs) And, you know, date nights used to be far more talking about business. Now we just are really together. But it doesn't mean that if something comes up, especially if it's more like visioning, dreaming, talking about some of the yummier business things, like we won't talk about like, payroll or human resources or logistics of software. But if we're really dreaming into something that's more visionary, that can totally happen in those more personal times because there's not as much of a separation of like, who am I as a business person? Who am I as a person person? They're the same person. You have arrived at this state where this existence just feeds on itself. I love it. You have recently become the bi-location person because you're originally from Maine, as am I. So we're both Maine. It's not hard, but I'm, of course, I'm based out of Washington, D.C. now, just outside. And I believe you recently, in the last few years, have moved down to Miami, at least for part of a year. Tell me a little bit about that decision because that's a big move from Maine to Miami. Maine to Miami is a big move. Um, Yes. So that happened sort of by accident in an interesting way. So this is how my life goes. I think that I know what is supposed to be happening. And then if I just let go and surrender, life always has a better plan. And I think that this is pretty common. I am not the only one that this happens for. So (laughs) we had decided in January 2021 to take some time and just be somewhere warm. So we just rented a condo in Tampa for a month. And my kids were so little and it was like virtual school. It was such a weird time. So I was just like, it really doesn't matter if they're, I mean, my kids are like not sitting on Zoom. 
doing school. So we were, were whatever. So we went down there and my husband got really sick with another round of something that he has struggled with over the years called um, topical steroid withdrawal, TSW. But essentially, just the root cause is like severe toxicity from heavy metals and mold and all kinds of things. Um, he's doing great now, by the way. So Excellent. it was, glad uh, to hear that. yeah, I'll just say that up front, but it was awful. He was so sick and it was, it happened pretty suddenly where he was like, fine. And then we got to Florida and all his symptoms started flaring. And the people that he started working with for his healing said if that he would do much better if we stayed where it was warm and humid, um, rather than going back to Maine. And so at the time I just, I, I felt like I was under a lot of pressure financially and also parenting wise. And then from the business perspective, because Mike was really sick. And so, so he was needing to put his time and energy on getting well, as opposed to what was his usual MO, which was like doing 50% of the parenting and 50% of all the other things. And so I just knew that I couldn't stay in Tampa for him to heal because I just didn't have community there. And if I was going to be doing most of the parenting in the business, I needed support. And so I just called a couple of girlfriends who live in Miami because I was like, well, I'm already in Florida. It's a four hour drive. We could go rent a place for a couple months, get Mike better. And so I called them and everyone was so like, yes, calm down. I'll find you a place to live. Like, I'll host a brunch to introduce you to all my friends. I mean, it was so just like, wow, this is a very warm welcome. So it felt like a very clear yes from the universe. And so we went and I was going to rent for two months. But then by that time, I was like, oh, schools are open here. I'll just put my kids in school. We'll just do five months. And then by the time we had done all set that all up, we kind of had a life and we looked at how much we could get for our house in Maine and that was very appealing and we were having such a good time and it felt so expansive and so wonderful. So essentially we sold our house without going back. And so we had moved down here, but we actually realized that we had moved in retrospect, even though we were already here. Well, what I love is that you still make it home. And in fact, we connected in late June. We were both at a conference at a retreat that Kathy Heller was hosting in um, Boca and you were a speaker there and you're like, I'm heading back. I'm going up for a nice long chunk of the summer. Yeah. And yeah, so oh, we did boy. six weeks this summer. It was wonderful. One of the joys of being able to have the flexibility of running your own business is we were able to, we are able to just go wherever. The kid school thing is a limiting factor. So um, if I had my way, I would probably be up in Maine for about four months, but Six weeks yeah. is um, what we did, and it was really dreamy. Oh, Maine I in love the it. summer is heaven. Maine in the summer is, is heaven. In fact, we got my husband and I got married there in late August, mm-hmm. and as you know, typically by late August, Maine summers cool off at night. Yeah. So the whole idea was we're gonna have this. Fa- I, I went to Colby for undergrad, so we we got married at the chapel, and then my right. parents live on a lake, and we're gonna have the reception at the lakes because my husband's family is from South America, and nothing starts until really late. Yeah, no, totally. Well, this is really early. Yes. And I was like, there's no place or venue that will be open when his family's arriving, so we need yeah. outdoors locations in Maine, and it was the hottest summer on record. Um, the salsa dancing commenced 
at seven in the evening, yeah. went until 5 a.m. That's so, incredible. How fun. It's never been that warm ever again. That's <laughs> great. Right. I love it. Sounds like a great wedding. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Tell me about what you perceive at this stage of your life as your superpower. And you can have more than one. One of my superpowers is being able to take relatively complicated concepts or unknown concepts and explain them in a way that's really practical for people. So two examples of that would be the way that energetics and spirituality combine with financial management, like on the practical level, and also the way that our menstrual cycles and the lunar cycles can impact our productivity and time and energy management. So those are two of my main topics. And then another one would be connecting people. I really, it is just absolutely my favorite thing to make introductions and have two people from my community who I know really need to meet each other and make that connection. I love that. Tell me a little bit about how your upbringing shaped this role as an entrepreneur, because your mom's a pretty well-known person in and of her own right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up um, with your celebrity doctor mom? <laughs> For those who don't know, maybe tell a little bit about that and then how you decided to go all in. Okay. So my mom is a holistic OBGYN. She wrote a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom and has been on Oprah 10 times and just wrote a bunch of very large books about women's She's health. She's extraordinary and beautiful and sure. wise. So yeah, growing up, both of my parents had their own private practices, medical practices. So I was raised in an environment where they worked a lot of hours. They were on call a lot and they did run their own schedules to a degree. But when you're a doctor, there's a lot of time pressure and a lot of a sense of urgency. Obviously, people's lives are on the line and babies come when they come. And my dad worked with a lot of people who got in car accidents, that kind of thing. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And so in that environment, it was interesting because even though there was financial abundance, we were able to do ballet classes and stuff like that and go on some nice family vacations. There was also a sense of money is associated with stress and pressure and sacrifice. So you have to sacrifice the things that matter. And there's always a sense of this external pressure of needing like things being in a hurry or in order to meet the bills and whatever. And so I just knew early on, I wanted to run my own business, like run my own business for freedom. I be in charge of making my own money, which are two very different things. So ultimately my parents were self-employed and it wasn't until later that my mom really began to see herself as a business owner. So a self-employed person is really trading hours for dollars or trading time for dollars. A business owner has leverage where there's an ability to have a system that is making money, whether you are actively doing something or not. And my mom's side of the family is very entrepreneurial. So all of her brothers and sisters are business owners, actually, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Her dad was a dentist and her mom, her mom raised kids, but Anyway, so being raised with the models of my aunts and uncles and then also the modeling from my parents and realizing like, okay, the 
the resources are amazing. And I want to have those kinds of possibilities for my family, but I don't want to have to make the same sacrifices that I see my parents making in terms of quality time with us and just a general sense of well-being and calm. They just worked a lot. And so the impact was, I'm so grateful to have grown up behind the scenes in terms of one of the most well-known wellness personal brands, certainly like in the 90s and early 2000s. And so I learned a lot of things just sort of by osmosis, like about boundaries and who do you say yes to and who do you say no to and how do you protect yourself? And oh, a lot of people are just looking to get something. So like, how do you protect that? Who do you need on your team? What kind of support do you need? You know, sales and marketing stuff. Like one of the this hilarious time, my mom had a new book out. I don't remember which one. And I was on the phone with her and I was like, hey, mom, how's the book selling? And she goes, oh, you know, I never check those things. She goes, <laughs> just let the angels sell my books. Oh, I love it. Also, like lessons around really trusting abundance and, you know, not needing to try to manipulate the universe. So, so many beautiful lessons that I that I learned from from seeing her career grow in ways that I wanted to emulate and continue on and also ways that I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do it that way. So a lot of blessings. I love that. So growing up in New England, like you, there was a sense, I think, a very, a very common one in most of America anyway, but this idea that money was going to somehow relate to freedom and happiness later on. So you should strive to make more. And we all worked very, very hard and did very well. I ended up spending a 20 plus year career out in the, the corporate world and did very well. But interestingly, you and I have crossed paths many times in the past, and you may not have known this. I was one of the early adapters in the Do Less movement. Love it. I bought one of your planners. I hosted my own Do Less group down here in Northern Virginia before you and I had ever met. And I was like, there's this woman in Maine, first of all, already like her, um, very smart, articulate, and her concept is no is a complete sentence. And it just blew my mind. And this is going back several years now. And I got your planner and I ended up getting a group together of, of women. There were all, uh, all corporate minded, very ambitious, hardworking women. And funny enough, they are all still with me. They follow this show, which yeah. we always say the psychographic for the show is very high achievers that are looking to have more alignment and more authenticity in their work, their life, and in their relationships. So there's just so much nice right. stuff to there. But tell for anyone who might not be familiar with DLAS, tell everybody about the DLAS movement and all the work that you've done in that front, because it's just really remarkable. And I think it's been really life-changing for a lot of people. I'm so glad it's had that impact. As you may understand already from listening to me, my life delivers me the lessons that are then meant for me, but then also to share. That's just my way. And so I do less came from my experience of getting pregnant and having my first baby. Uh, actually, the book came out after I had already had my second baby, but you know, all that, it takes a long time to publish a book. And in between there, you can actually, turns out, do pregnancy and have a baby twice. <laughs> but uh, not to mention the book in and of itself is another movie. Uh, it's a lot. 
So my first pregnancy, I just, I've never been so tired in my life. And coming from a New England work ethic family, I just had never had a challenge that I couldn't work harder or just be smarter or do more things to overcome. And so it was the first time in my life that I didn't feel physically or energetically capable, which was really hard for me to swallow as someone who identified as an incredibly capable person. And so suddenly I was making a human, which is by far the most productive thing I've ever done. And yet my relationship to productivity and output, I I was forced to shift it because I was so tired. And then the birth itself was very rocky and not at all what I anticipated which, you know, I'm not the only person who's ever had that happen. And then I had a sick baby with an unexpected hospital stay. And the whole thing was incredibly stressful. And I struggled with postpartum insomnia and postpartum anxiety. And what ended up happening is 13 months after she was born, I got my period back, which up until that point in my life, I had just sort of been like, all right, like, you know, this happens and I once a month I need tampons and it sort of surprises me every time, even though like I should know that's going to be happening. Totally goes. That was my relationship with my menstrual cycle before that. And then all of a sudden there I was 13 months postpartum, my period came back and I felt this deep return to myself. And it was like a life raft in, I still was really struggling when my daughter was 13 months old. And all of a sudden I had this like rhythmic anchor to myself in the form of my menstrual cycle. It was something really predictable. And I started a little journaling practice, which I would write down what day of my cycle I was on, what phase of the cycle I was in, what was going on with the moon and how I felt. And it became an anchor and an incredibly healing practice through which I was able to heal my postpartum anxiety and really feel deeply powerful in a way I had never felt before. And so from that came the book Do Less and that journaling practice turned into the Do Less Planner and a movement for ambitious women to reimagine their relationship with energy, with their bodies, and with time, and to reimagine how we can work in a world, uh, it, work in a way that is grounded in our feminine power, as opposed to um, grounded in masculine power, which is the way that we, that the work world has worked up until very recently. Well, it still does, but there's I was like going to say it sections. still does, but we're still sections to make- that are shipped. That's right. There's a dent in the universe for sure, and a, a lot more enlightenment than there's ever been. This is a great time to actually be present and see this all happening and unfolding, and be part of. So, thank you for that. I think it's shifted away a lot of women uh, think about their relationship with their bodies and time and what they're doing, because I think we tend to put a lot of stress on ourselves to keep going. We can do it just one more hour mm-hmm. or one more accomplishment off the list. And I think it's really given people permission to rethink 
what that looks like and how they show up. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, you've had some adversity, some things have shown up in your life. You've had some challenges throughout your adult life. How has those, how have those adversities really shaped your response to what I would almost call embracing the suck and finding new ways of dealing? Because you've really, you really haven't shied away. You've been incredibly vulnerable and open with your community. And if anyone hasn't had a chance to follow Kate, we'll make sure all of her um, contact info is in the show notes because she's just a joy to watch and be part of her world. But you've really been open about when things aren't going well and to provide insight on how you're allowing yourself to respond. And it is beautiful to witness. And it really does give a lot of people permission to say, it's okay, things are not going so well right now. It's okay not to be okay. But also looking at adversity in a new lens. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, adversity, yeah. So I talked about the birth in the hospital and having a sick baby for the first year of her life. And then my husband, his topical steroid withdrawal erupted literally the moment I pushed out my second daughter. And so we just in the last five years since Ruby was born, we navigated his illness and then two major accidents, one where he broke his knee and the second one where he got hit by a car. Um, Not to mention the pandemic and, you know, funny things behind the scenes in my company and finances um, and all, you know, and then the regular stuff that everyone's dealing with. So I think that's how life is. Not everyone not everyone's thing is health challenges. Not everyone's life lesson is about being the partner of someone who's ill or injured. That has been my own particular assignment these, in this past chapter. And it has really sucked. And one thing that it has taught me is that, you know, I kept thinking like, <laughs> I was so mad at my husband for so long for being so sick and then continuing to get injured, which of course, like no one would ever choose that. I mean, he was in (laughs) so much pain, so uncomfortable. And I was just so mad, which of course was not helping at all. And anyone who's sick or injured, like they really need a compassionate partner. And I, when I'm not good at that, however, it was, it was great uh, in terms of the lesson for me, because I kept feeling this feeling of like, why does his soul keep choosing this? Like, why does his soul keep choosing to drop out of life in these really dramatic ways? What is this about? And I was really other focused and like, what's wrong with him? Why, you know, why is he doing this? Until I realized, which is like relatively obvious, but it wasn't to me that my soul too had chosen this experience because I am married to him. And so I had to lean into, okay, what is, and listen, you don't have to believe that everything happens for a reason. I don't know that I would say everything happens for a reason, but I do believe that everything that occurs in our lives is fodder for our growth. So I'm like, this is happening. So I might as well learn from it. Right. And so I really leaned into, okay, what's the assignment for me? How is this happening for me? How has my soul chosen this? And one of the biggest things has actually been to learn how to surrender and feel held and supported when I feel like the world is on my shoulders. And I know that 
other women listening can relate to this feeling of if I drop the ball, everything will come crashing down. And, and I felt that way so profoundly with like, okay, now all of a sudden I'm paying for a life in Maine and a separate life in Miami that was unexpected. Now it's private school. Now it's the team that I'm paying. Now it's, now I'm doing parenting with this sick person. Like I, I had this worldview that was like, there's so much pressure on me. I have to do it all myself. No one's here supporting me. And so the opportunity was like, okay, what's another way to approach this? And the other way to approach it came only because I had no other option because I was so tired and burned out where I just said, well, okay, but what if I just operated as though there wasn't all this pressure? What if I just rested anyway? Because I was just so tired. This is about March of 2021. I was so tired. And so I decided I'm just going to do an experiment and give myself permission to relax just for a certain period of time. I had a certain period of time in mind. It was 90 days or going a certain amount of money in the hole that I felt comfortable that was like, all right, well, we'll figure that out. Um, we all have these numbers. <laughs> and oh, the we numbers do. are completely subjective. So, but I had a number in mind that I was like, I would feel safe being X number of dollars in debt or or spending X number of dollars of our savings to give myself this 90 days. And so I gave myself the 90 days to just say, working in this this pressured way is not working. I'm just going to relax and see what happens. And as a result, we hit all our financial goals. No problem. I actually rested. I actually enjoyed myself. And I was able to really shift the way I was relating to my husband, the way I was relating to work, the way I was relating to money. And so that particular adversity, which has showed itself in a lot of different ways, continues to teach me, but really did teach me to shift from my default setting being running my business and my life from a place of stress and pressure to running my business and my life from a place of relaxation and joy. And it's been amazing, the difference. So I'm like a year and a half into that experiment. No, two and a half years now into that experiment. And I would say it's like really working. I just found out today on our team meeting that our our revenue is 67% compared to where it was last year at this I and that's call for a quantum leap forward. That's not just going better. It's a proven theorem at this point. Yeah. No, leaning into joy, I think, is uh, one of those. If you look back across all traditions and wisdoms, they say that. And yet it's so difficult for us to really embody deeply until somebody says, I have no other choice but to try. Because yeah, I got to try something else. So I was like, if I keep doing this, if I keep running my life like this and my business like this, I'm going to get sick. And then my kids will have two sick parents. And that's not going to work. So I just knew I had to do something different. It's so interesting because we didn't have the illness um, issue going on. We have a 16-year-old now. But at the time when something similar was happening, my son was about 10. And my husband runs a business. And I was an executive in a company. And our lives were just out of balance, for lack of a better term. And... I was, and that meant mental state of if if I don't continue and maintain that worried-filled space, something will unravel and all bad things will let, <laughs> let loose. And what happened is our marriage got really rough. And so in an effort to make sure that we didn't lose 
the marriage, I said, I need to think about doing this differently. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to do the same kind of work, but I've got to show up without that stress and tension that follows me throughout my day and comes home with me. Yes. And is at my husband's like feet as soon as I walk through the door. It it shifted a lot. And also, interestingly, allowed me to get out of the way for him to pick up some of the stuff that I was not consciously realizing I hadn't asked him to help with, but I was assuming that if he was going to, he would have just done it. And yet it was on my plate and I was silently resentful. And all of a sudden I said, would you, could you? And he said, oh, yeah. And he just did it. It was fine. And I was like, oh my God, I've released myself of that. I albatross that I was totally. so huge. Mind over. And I think when it comes to householding in partnership, especially in a traditional heterosexual couple where we have these gender roles, we can have this assumption of all these things that we're just like, well, I'm the woman need to do it because this is what women do. And we don't even stop to question like, what? You know, all the school emails, all the birthday party planning, all the, you know, Doctors visit doctor, the doctors, the everything, and it just is like we have to challenge those things, and just like you did, put them down to allow our partners to step in. Not even, not even saying like, "Oh, can you help me with this?" It's just like, no, no, can you own? Like, you're going to now own this department of our household, and just fully handing it over. Um, because even this idea of like husbands helping wives continues oh, yeah. that it's like the why the the woman's responsibility. It's like, no, no, no. This is now your department fully. Like Mike's department, you know, Mike has a lot of different departments that he's the head of. He's the head of logistics, he's the head of travel, he's the head of like all I'm the head of grocery shopping. Like we have, we know. And then that way it's not confusing, like who's doing what. And we actually do sit down every six months or so with a spreadsheet of who's doing what and we assess who's in charge of which department and i highly recommend doing that i love so that. that it's all clear and it's all on paper and the agreements are agreed upon and out fully in the open yeah for anyone listening it's incredibly freeing the things that we have in our minds decided we have to do or they need to do versus actually just seeing who's better at what totally like, I am not the cook of the household, but I will pick a restaurant if we want to. <laughs> exactly. And just to know that and like know that that has nothing to do with your value as a woman, as a mother, like it's irrelevant. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm right there with you on travel. I'm not the booker of the travel, but I am no. the planner of trips in a broad right. sense. Here's right. where we're going. Here's what's going to feel like. Here's what's going to look like. But don't put me in charge of plane fare. No, me neither. Oh, gosh. I'll mess it up every time. (laughs) All right. Talk to me about authenticity for you, because obviously you wear a lot of hats. You've evolved significantly since your time in New York City as a youngster and then going back to Maine and becoming an entrepreneur and a best-selling author. What does it mean to you just in your bones to show up as your most authentic self? So authenticity to me is deeply connected with integrity and integrity to me doesn't mean it's not like ethical or moral. Integrity just means am I or do my insides match my outside? And Martha Beck's book, The Way of Integrity, was just Mm. so phenomenal 
around this particular thing of just if somebody meets me and and I hear this all the time from people, I, I meet them somewhere and they're like, wow, you're exactly the same as you are on the Internet. You're exactly the same as you are on your podcast. You're exactly you're the same. And to me, that's authenticity. It's also deeply relaxing because I'm just who I am. I'm who I am as a mom at pickup. I'm who I am in our business. I'm who I am with my friends. I'm just like the same pretty much. Of course, we all have aspects of ourselves that come out more or less in different areas, which I love. But I'm pretty much who I am. And that way, I don't have to think about what version I'm being and what I told one person. So honestly, it just has a lot to do with telling the truth and not trying to ramp up a particular persona. That just just, just takes a lot of energy that I don't want to. It's so true. It's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to be some way that you think somebody wants you to be. And they don't actually want you necessarily to be that way. Sometimes they do. But oftentimes we've made this up in our head, assuming that's what we need to be. And gosh, when you can let that down and just be like, oh, I'm just going to show up as myself. And funny enough, I shine so much more brightly in the world when I do. Totally. In a very relaxed state. So it's beautiful. Tell us what you're working on now. I'm so excited to hear what Kate Northrup is up to. I may have some like spidey senses about these things, but tell us more what you can share. Yeah, of course. So 10 years ago, my first book, Money, Love Story came out. And then last fall, I, for, I, I, I don't know exactly why, but Really, I felt so called to revisit the money conversation. I felt so called to update that body of work. And so we launched a program called Relax Money. And I have been blown away by how many people have resonated. It has been the easiest sales process of my career. I I just, it's like, what is even happening? (laughs) And so... Yeah, so we're prepping to do our third round, our third live round of Relax Money, which is a program that really combines money mindset, money strategies, and practical money management with nervous system healing so that we can create a new wealth and abundance set point as opposed to having to work so hard to keep up these systems or monitor our thoughts or whatever. So that program is what we're working on. Yeah. Uh, what else are we doing? I'm working on a new book. So that's happening kind of mostly in the notes app on my phone. But yeah, working on a new book that is about manifesting and magnetism and women and ambition and money and nervous system regulation. What is your advice for folks that are maybe unwinding from a corporate setting and stepping into entrepreneurism for the first time? If you're transitioning, whether you're transitioning, starting a side gig where you're having a side income, you're still working your corporate gig, or you're you're thinking about like making the full leap, what I would say is to look at what is actually required, write it out. What is actually required in terms of action steps for money to end up in my bank account? So start from the end, which is like, okay, there's money in my bank account that someone has paid me that is not my paycheck. So what have they paid you for and what was required in order for that service or that product to be delivered and what what needed to happen before then in order for them to say yes 
to the sale. And then what needed to happen before then in order for them to even hear about this product or service and write out the process with the minimum number of steps required for that, um, that money to end up in your bank account. Cause what I see happen is new entrepreneurs are like, great. I need branding photos and I need a website and I need a business card and I need all these things to be perfect and I need a certain number of followers on Instagram. And it's like, no, 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 you do not. All you need is one person who has a problem that you know they can solve and for them to know you can solve it and for them to say yes to you solving it and to them for them to pay you. You could literally get paid like within the next hour by texting someone an offer that meets exactly a need that they are aware that they have that something they're feeling uh, motivated to spend money on right now. And so getting simple with the number of steps, I mean, this is the whole do less way. We do not need to do all the things we think we need to do. And yes, entrepreneurship is a long game. And over time, sure, you might build your social media following and absolutely have a website. Do all of those things, but the, but business is about solving somebody's problem and you don't need any of that stuff to solve somebody's problem and get paid for it. So my advice would be keep it really simple and come up with the minimum number of via, of steps required to get money in your bank account. Great advice. Okay. How's your salsa game? Oh, strong. I have a strong salsa game. I was in a, a Latin dance company in college and every Wednesday night Ooh. we would go out to this place called the Black Rep in Providence, Rhode Island and dance with the old Cuban men with a live salsa band. It's the greatest. I love it. We find ourselves in South Florida every now and then. So yeah. this is the hub. You, you call me. I'll go out. I love that. So we're going to find a time when we're going to yeah. make salsa dancing. Oh, fun. All right, my friend. Where can people find you? We're going to include all the links, but why don't you just go ahead for those who are listening, where the, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, my website, katenorthrup.com is the place where all of our most current stuff is happening. And then Instagram, katenorthrup is, is where I hang out the most. Wonderful. Thank you so much, my friend. It has been a pleasure spending time with you today. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please take a moment to rate and review. If you have recommendations for future topics, please reach out to me at michellereosofficial.com. Lastly, please consider supporting this podcast by sharing it. Together we can reach, inspire, and positively impact more people. Thank you. Thank you.